Well, very good morning to all of you. Uh, we worked hard in order to provide you a, a beautiful day. <laughs> we, uh, we, my goodness, we chiseled through mounds of ice on the sidewalk. We got the lot plowed and salted and everything else so that you could be here and we could share. But we great... couldn't turn the temperature up. No, we tried. But so glad that, that you braved the elements. Honestly, I just, I, it was last night, I was scraping out here at about 1030, and the, uh, the plow guy came through, and he said, what are you guys, nuts? Other churches are canceling. And, and I said, well, here's the thing I always struggle with. Jesus died for my sins to give me eternal life. I think I can brave a little bit of cold to come out and, and celebrate with other people who love him. So, so here we are. I'm, I'm so glad that, that you took the time to be with us this morning. We have there's so many things that we want to share with you. The first, of course, is you know today is what many consider a, a super day, a very important day. And one of my friends posted this yesterday. I loved it. Today is officially take your son to work day. And so... Little Patty Mahomes is theoretically <laughs> going to be schooled by his grandpa or the other way around, I suspect. But anyway, we hope they have a lot of fun with that. Uh, the other thing, by the way, this is football for some of you that don't know. But anyway, um, the other thing you got yesterday is that uh, Southfield weekend update that we sent to you. And, and I, you know, later today when you are cold and don't want to go outside anyway, get your laptop out or your phone and just... Go through all these links. There are so many opportunities to get involved around here right now, whether it is Kids Musical coming up and the auditions on the 16th, or, or we actually have all, the, all of the Quest Day Camp stuff is posted now, so you can start seeing where you might want to get involved. You can, you can sign up for Green Lake and think of warmer days. It is the one encouragement today. Wisconsin is colder today <laughs> than even us. But you know all these different opportunities for serving and connecting and community, uh, work your way through them, and, and even though we're, we're sitting here in the first week of February, you can start turning your eyes toward, toward what is going to be a, a beautiful spring and summer it's together. Anti it's anticipation season. It's anticipation it's, season. Absolutely. Words are hard when it's this cold. <laughs> <laughs> Great anticipation. So the other thing we wanted to talk about this morning, though, was... Uh, we gathered yeah. together Thursday night. That was the night that the, that the temperature, so we had the, the slush rain. Uh, did any of you drive in the snowballs? That yeah. was a riot. I mean, if you were driving through that, it was like literally junior hires were on the side of the road, boom, boom, <laughs> boom, pelting your car. So anyway, you know, the, 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 we had that slush stuff and that turned to ice and, and here we are today. But that evening, uh, a bunch of us gathered together for, for our church's annual meeting and you know, in case you don't know the way, the way we operate as a church, we're a congregationally governed church, which, which basically means that, that the, the leaders are accountable to the congregation uh, for what happens in the life of the church. So once a year, we gather together uh, to, to have a time of reporting and sharing, talking about finances, all those things. And, um, and the thing I loved about that evening as we, as we looked at it together is that in a, in a year that should have been a disaster, in, in a year that, quite honestly, you know, when, when we set out in March, there were two things in my mind as we went, uh, started into the pandemic. And one of, them, one of them was morbid and the other one was frightening, okay? One of them was uh, the way we were going to be involved in not being together. Giving was just going to slide and we were going to be in big financial trouble. And, of course, the other concern was the way they were describing it. I wondered if I'd be doing a funeral a week. I mean, I really, I wondered where we would be months later after all of this. 
And, and as we got a chance to gather together, we, we talked about this idea that, um, you know, we're a turnaround church. Turnaround basically meaning uh, we, were, we were a church that barely had a pulse. We were, we were all but closed. And, and God, God breathed a, a fresh wind in here and, and brought life to, to dry bones. And here we are today, right? And having said that, sometimes a, a church can seem to come back but if you were to scrape the paint a little bit, you'd realize not much had really changed. Because they say one of the hardest things to change is DNA, personality, culture. You don't believe that? Look at your family, right? Your family is what they've been and, and seems like it will be what it's always been. It's part of our DNA. And so if you look at the, the DNA of what our church was, this year was a testing year to ask us, have we really become who we believed God was calling us to be. And those things were to be faithful, flexible, focused, fearless, and have fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, as we looked at the things that happened this year, these, these were mind-blowing things, okay? The first one was in a year that we thought financially we would struggle, it was the best year of general fund giving ever. That that just, that blows my mind. Yeah. That blows my mind. There, there's a faithfulness there. We weren't even together. We weren't looking at the, the bulletin every week to say, oh, here's where we are. Or we got to make up or something like that. Tremendous faithfulness. How about fun? In a year that celebrations were being canceled all over the place, 29 people got baptized. 29 people That's got incredible. baptized yeah. this year, 2020. That's crazy. Yeah. In a year that um, other churches were having to lay off staff, some by the dozens, we actually added to our staff. It's crazy the things that God did again and again. You know, when the first night that we were in this place, we sang a song, come and see what God has done. God does great things when we're willing to put ourselves in his hands. There's a, there's a verse, the, the, the group that memorizes together, the small group that, that memorizes together, there's a verse from uh, First Chronicles that says, the eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to look for those who hearts, whose hearts are fully committed to him. And why is he doing the looking? It says because he wants to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Your full commitment this year even in being here on a day that, that, that the temperature barely is above zero, your full commitment to be here in a season that we're told, stay at home, stay away, stay separate, your full commitment to be a part of this is being strengthened by God. I'll tell you what, it was, it was mind-blowingly encouraging to see that we didn't say as a church, let's keep our powder dry and save it for another battle, but we said, this is the time in a pandemic, the rich head to the hills, the church heads to the streets. And we weren't going to go into hiding. We wanted to be a part of the active work of God in life. And then, and then you shared some stuff student-wise that, that I just, it was so, I loved it. Go ahead. In 1995. You weren't alive. Oh, yeah, you were. A little bit. Sorry. <laughs> I was six years old. You were a little, you're a little boy. That's right. All right. Cool. Glad you remember <laughs> who I am. Anyway, uh, 95, when we came to, to this church, I remember you know, all the conversations kind of swirling around talking about how we were focused on in. We were focused on us. You know, as long as the people in the doors were good, then, then we're doing our job, and it's, it's, it's great. And that culture shift took a long, long time to flip to, yes, the people in the door, or inside the doors matter, but so do they. Mm -hmm. So do they. Mm -hmm. And 
it, watching how students play into that and played into it this year was outstanding. First off, to, to, go, to go home, to be locked up, and then have to do everything on Zoom for a little while, it was really, really hard. And the rest of the world was giving students a pass. It's, you know, if, if it's too much, if it's too stressful, just this, this is your year to just kind of, you know, like, we'll, we'll give you a pass here. It would have been very easy, very easy for our students to just say, yeah, online, it's not the same. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. They didn't. They showed up. Um, and in fact, we had several that invited their friends to those Zoom meetings, <laughs> uh, which was really cool. When we came back, it would have been very easy to say, uh, I don't know, I'm not ready to go back, or uh, you know, there are other things that are on my priority list that are more important than, than coming back to youth group. And, and they didn't. They showed up. They came back. And they came back in full. And then we get to this, this fall and, and watch kind of how, how everything has played out. I love big outreach events. It's mm-hmm. kind of my thing. I, mm-hmm. Donuts and dodgeball. You know, like just back in the day, red, white, and bacon. Like we, <laughs> we do a lot of big outreach things to bring kids in the door to show them essentially uh, it's, it's not CCD. Okay. Um, because I think there, there are a lot of kids in our area that, that when they hear that, you know, we run a youth group, it's, it's religion class. And yes, we do some hardcore Bible studies, but it's not, it's not CCD. And unfortunately for me, like it, this, one of the hardest parts of my year was not being able to have those events and then not being able to like just post on Instagram, bring all your friends, get everybody in. Because that's, that's something that I love. Instead, I had to rely on the students to do the inviting. I had to rely on students to, to say, yeah, this is, this is something that not only is, is fun, it's not only something that where you're going to learn, it's something that I want you along with me. I want you here doing, uh, doing this Christian life with me at youth group on Wednesday nights or on Sundays. And uh, one awesome example of that, uh, I've been teaching seventh grade over at Shannon Junior High, and I have three, three of our regular attenders, uh, families, in, in that class. I have Addie Kelter, I have Jess Robbins, and I have Polly Kosek. All right, so th- I already had some familiar faces in that class, and I, and I loved that. But there came a point in the year where we, Polly had done some inviting. And I looked up one night, one Wednesday night, and I'm looking at the, fr- I'm looking at the front row, and I couldn't tell if I was in room 100 over the junior high or if I was at, at church here at Refuge. It was incredible. That is cool. So yeah, I mean, cool. it is. It's something that to be celebrated. Cool. <clears throat> to stick your neck out normally is hard. Mm-hmm. To stick your neck out this year with everything that's gone on, not just the pandemic, but everything that's gone on, it's, it's really, really challenging to, uh, to say, yeah, come learn about Jesus. I want you with me as a junior high or as a high schooler. And they did it. And they did it. It was really, really, it's a great, it was it's a great just, year. I, you know, I, I said that night, this has not been the hardest ministry year I've ever experienced. I've experienced harder years. It's been the most complicated year. It's been very complicated, but it's not been the hardest. Having said that, I, I think this too, it's probably one of the most exciting it's probably one of the most exciting in terms of seeing, seeing the way the culture and the DNA infused by the Spirit of God 
has truly uh, continued to do the work of God despite everything going on around us. So great job. Y'all, y'all just, you've done a great job, a wonderful job. I wanted to um, talk a little bit today about where we're going to be going in our next, uh, next teaching series. I've been, I've been trying to, you know, just been wrestling with, praying through, God, what, what do you desire for us? What do you want? Where are you going to take us? And, you know, I've said in the past, what I try to do is have an ear to the Word of God, have an ear to the people of God and the conditions of the time, and, and just get a sense of, God, what is it that you desire for us? So, been, I've been just wrestling with passages and, and looking at different things, and, and I was actually reminded of a, of, of a day that was a really great day. It was a day you were alive, a day in 2000. You were, you were about 11 years old, as so I, know as I, I recall. Good. Yes, right. yes, I do. 1989, <laughs> December 12th. I was there, 1228. I, I remember the whole thing. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Uh, this, this particular day, we were down at Grandma and Grandpa's in Bloomington. It was August, I believe. And... Um, and, and part of what was really cool that day, I mean, we had the best fishing day of our life. We went to this private pond, huge bass, caught them like crazy. It was so fun. But mom and I had gone to a bookstore. We grabbed a couple of books by, by what was potentially the future vice president of the United States. Uh, George Bush and Dick Cheney had just been nominated, and they were going to be, they were going to be whistle-stopping through Bloomington Normal that afternoon. And so we thought, hey, it'd be cool to go see this event. You know, never seen a presidential candidate in person. And my goodness, they're coming to the town we're in. Let's go. So we head over to Normal, and we thought we had like the best spot in the place. We were right up close to the stage. This is awesome. It's crazy. And as the train comes in, what we realized is we were behind the stage, and the train tracks were right in front of us. Boom, all of a sudden, we can't see a thing. So we start chanting, move the train, move the train. (laughs) Not thinking about how that would be twisted by CNN, you know, (laughs) Bloomington hates Bush. But anyway, so Stafford comes over and says, be quiet, and we'll bring him by when he's done. We're like, yeah, right, sure. I mean, everybody is so cynical. And, and, so, and so the speech gets done. I'm not kidding. Minutes after the speech gets done, here's this lady comes through. It's Lynn Cheney. She comes over and she's talking to us. And we happen to have the book she wrote. And she's like, oh, my book. And she signs it. And we had Dick Cheney's book too. And, and so a couple minutes later, Dick Cheney comes over. My wife tells me, one of you have my book. And, you know, he, <laughs> and so he signs it. We're like, this is cool. And then, and then they whisk Bush through. And it was crazy. It was like, are you kidding me? We just witnessed what could be the president and vice president of the United States and his wife. It was amazing. So it was a while later that a book came out, a book by one of uh, George Bush's staffers named Karen Hughes. And the book is called 10 Minutes from Normal. 10 Minutes from Normal. And uh, it was fun because as you read the book, you realize she said there was this day that we were heading into Bloomington Normal. And the conductor over the, over the loudspeaker says, ladies and gentlemen, we're 10 minutes from normal. 10 minutes from normal. And she said, if I ever write a book, that's going to be the title. <laughs> because that's the way I feel like I live life. I'm always just 10 minutes from normal. I'm not quite there yet. I suspect that for most of us, we feel about 10 minutes from normal, or maybe about a year removed from normal, right? What, where'd normal go? What, one of the things I hear people say most commonly these days is, I can't wait until it's normal again. I can't wait till it's normal again. And my question to you is, what is normal? What would, what would normal be? And not just normal in terms of the world, but what is normal for a Christ follower? In fact, another word I really like, it's the word normative. What's normative for a Christ follower? What is, what is something that should be normal for all of us? We tend to look at, you know, like 
people that are in vocational ministry or something like that or, or really old super saints and we're like, oh, I could never be like that. Or maybe like the, like the guy in the temple, we look, at the, we look at the tax collector and say, thank God I'm not like that. We look at these extremes and the question is, what's normal for everybody? Where, where should we all be living the Christian life? And so we're going to do some digging into what does normal look like? What, what will it look like when we not return to normal, but when we act normal? When we act normally as devoted Christ followers. So I'm looking around, I'm just thinking about this concept of normal, and I pulled out a book that I, that I haven't looked at in a long time. Book by a man named Eugene Peterson. You may be familiar with the name. He, he did the translation of the Bible called The Message. And it's called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that title because that is the definition of the norm for the Christian. We are just on a pathway of a long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's arduous, but we keep going in the same direction and we keep going in the same direction obediently. So I open it up and I read, I read the first paragraph of the first chapter and here's what it says. People submerged in a culture swarming with lies and malice feel as if they are drowning in it. They can trust nothing they hear. They can depend on no one they meet. I read this and I'm like, when did he write this? I flip, it's, this book's over 20 years old and it feels like it was written 20 minutes ago, Right? Don't you feel like you live in a culture where how many times have you said, where can I find the truth anymore? Where can I find the truth about anything? I go to the same source and literally people are talking out of seven sides of a two-sided mouth. You're like, I can't believe anything I hear anymore. And there's just hate and malice everywhere. How in the world am I supposed to live through this? Well, he gives us the answer he says there's this section of the Bible called the Songs of Ascents, a series of psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 that talks about literally the normal journey for everyone who follows God. This is the normal journey. This isn't, this isn't just the journey for the pastors. This isn't just the journey for, for some super saint. This is the normal journey for every Christian. And so we're going to start today with the first one. Psalm 120. And I'm going to have you, Brian, read, first of all, from the English Standard Version, which is a very, it's a very literal version of the Bible, translated word for word, as, wherever possible. And then we're going to hear from the message, which is a very loose translation, a flowery translation of the Bible. And I'd like you to hear the comparison of the two, because they both kind of, they inform each other. So go ahead and start with uh, Psalm 120 in the English Standard Version. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak... They are for war. Okay, now, and now the message version. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but they lie through their teeth. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming, all you bold-faced liars? Pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. 
I'm doomed to live in Meshach, cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. I'm all for peace, but the minute I tell them so, they go to war. Thanks so much. So you look at this psalm and you see a, a, a man who's writing, and, and the first thing he writes about the fact is that everybody's lying about him. He just, no matter who he turns to, people, people are lying about him, and they're, told, they're telling really bold, awful lies. I don't know if you've ever had anybody lie about you. Not just, not just lie about you in a, in a small way, but lie about you in a very public way, in a way that other people knew, people who are your friends, they know. And all you can do is rely on the fact that those friends know who you are, and they know that's not true of your character. But there's literally nothing you can do to disprove the lie. This guy is saying, this is where I live. I live in a land of liars. I live in a land of people that lie about me and that lie all the time. And I'm sick of it. And this is actually, it's called a psalm of lament. A lament is a complaint to God. He's complaining to God. And in laments, what often happens, the person says, this is what I'm going through. I'm sick of it. But, but the lamenter also says, and this is what I'd like to see happen. And what he'd like to see happen is for the liars to be taken out. He'd like some arrows, flaming arrows, boom, take out the liars. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of living this way. And then he says, but, but here's where I am. I'm doomed. I'm doomed to live in Meshach. I'm stuck here. I, I, I'm cursed to, to set up my tent in Cater. My whole life is just, I live like a camper. I just, I don't, I feel like I don't belong. I, I want to belong. I want to fit in. I want to be a part of this, but it just doesn't feel like home. I, I want peace. Everybody wants war. Nobody, nobody values what I value. As you read this psalm, you hear the heart cry of a man who's saying, something just doesn't feel right. I want to feel right. I want to fit in. I want to be a part of what's going on. But I'm like, a, I'm like a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. It's just not working. What's wrong? Well, if you look at Psalm 20, there, there are at least five questions we need to answer in order to get a better understanding of what's happening in Psalm 120. The first would be something we should ask almost every time we come to a passage of the Bible. Who wrote it and when? Who wrote this passage? Well, if you, if you look at a paper Bible, a Psalm 120, above it, it says, a song of ascents, and there's no name there. Uh, one over, I believe, two over, it says, of David. So there are some that are written by David, but, but this one has no, no inscription as to who the writer was, or even when it was written. A lot of people believe it was a, a Davidic king, maybe David himself, or someone, someone in David's entourage, maybe Solomon, maybe one of his other children, but... but we don't know exactly who, we don't know exactly when, but here's what we do know. We know how it was used. It's referred to as a song of ascents. And, and as I say that word and as you read that word today, that is not a typo. It's ascents, not ascent. All my life I've called them the Psalms of Ascent or the Songs of Ascent. And it's plural, it's ascents. Why is it pluralized? Because you didn't ascend just once. You did it again and again and again and again. These, were, these songs from 120 to 134 were written for a journey. 
They were written for people who were traveling together on a journey. I don't know if you have songs you sing as a family. You know, you get in the van and you got your little ditties that you sing. These weren't little ditties. These were, these were meaningful songs that the people were to sing as they headed to Jerusalem three times a year. Every, every uh, devoted Jewish person three times a year would head to Jerusalem. It was commanded in Exodus 23. You'd head up for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, You'd head up for the festival of harvest, which is actually a misnomer because the harvest is the first fruit of your crop, not the end of the year, but the first fruit that was developed on the vine. And then you'd head up for the festival of ingathering. So this is harvest at the end of the year, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So three times a year, wherever you lived in Israel, you'd go in the spring for Passover and early summer for Pentecost and in autumn for Tabernacles, those three feasts. Jesus did this. Do you remember when Jesus gets lost at the temple? Well, it doesn't get lost. When Jesus' parents can't find him at the temple? Why are they there? One of these feasts. And what happens as the the entourage is coming home together, they are so much a community, they're not necessarily, where's Billy, what's going on, or something like that. They're, They're traveling as a pack. They're traveling as a family. And they'd sing songs along the way that reminded them of their life in God. And so Psalm 120, Psalm 120 was song number one. This is where we start. It reminds us who we are and what our life in God is all about. Well, as you keep going, the third question you have to answer is, what is a broom tree? It mentions a broom tree. Here's here's an image of one. You might remember the broom tree from the story of Elijah. He runs and runs and runs and then goes and rests under a broom tree and wants to die. It was the only shade in the desert. Look at all that luscious, beautiful shade right there. There he is. The reason he mentions a broom tree is because it is a, it is a quick, hot, intense flame that comes when this, when this wood burns. It's not a slow burn. It's a, it's a, what he's saying is, I want my enemy to die and to die in pain. I want, I want this to be intense. I want an intense heat. Then he says, I sojourn in Meshach. I live in the tents of Cater. Where in the world is that? If you're even slightly familiar with the land of Israel, Meshach and Cater are not coming up in your mind. You, you know a little town of Bethlehem. You know Jerusalem. You know Nazareth. You know a couple other places. These ones aren't coming up in your mind. And that's because they're not in the land of Israel. The little square box is the land of Israel. To the north is the land of Meshach, what is in contemporary times Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And then the tents of Kedar, that would have been down in Arabia, so the area literally from the Red Sea to the Persian Gulf to the Euphrates River, this vast desert is the land, or the, the land where he would pitch his tent, the land of Kedar. Now, the psalmist is not necessarily saying I live in Meshach and I live in Kedar. I live in two places at once. He's using both places as his analogy for where he feels he is. Meshach was a place of hostility and war. It was a place of constant conflict, constant battle. And Kedar, Kedar, Kedar was a place of nomads. You, you, didn't, you didn't build a palace in the desert. You had a tent and you went from blade of grass to blade of grass. And you just kept going, trying to find water, trying to find food. And so what he's saying is, I, I'm, I'm doomed to live in a land of hostility. And I'm doomed to live as, a, as an alien, as a stranger, as an outcast. 
What he's doing from the very start is saying, this is my identity in God. And part of what the people would sing along the way is, this is our identity in God. We're lied about. We live in a land of lies. We live in a land of people that are hostile toward peace. I want peace. They don't want peace. I wish you were different. I feel like an alien. I feel like a stranger. I feel like I don't belong. And you know what? That's normal. That's normal for a Christian. In fact, you know what's been abnormal? Feeling like America is our home. That's abnormal. Abnormal is feeling like this place is home. Abnormal is feeling like this world is a comfortable home. Somebody told this story not too long ago. I, I wish I could remember who it was. I thought it was Shelly. She said no. I thought it was Jaron. She said no. But we were talking, and whoever this person was, brilliant insight, you can claim it later. The person said, <clears throat> I read something recently that said Christians are living as if a hotel is their home. They're living as if they're bringing everything with them to the hotel and saying, I'm going to live here. What's a hotel for? A one-night stay to get to the, your destination. It's not the place you set up and live. It's the place you're at for a moment to continue on your journey to get to your destination. We, as believers, are not supposed to be people who find a comfortable place here. This world is not our home. This isn't it. And the more comfortable we, hear, we feel here, folks, that's abnormal. That's not normal. A person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out in the Christian way. As long as we think the next election, this is written over 20 years ago, okay? As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into the life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the way the world is before he, before she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Normal is to feel discontent. Normal is to say, I don't belong here. Normal is to say, what's wrong with this world? Everybody's lost their minds. That's normal. Psalm 120 is a song for the journey, and it starts out the journey, and it helps us to remember our true identity. I am an alien. I am a stranger. I am a pilgrim. I'm on a pathway, but I'm not settling here. I'm continuing toward my true home. It reminds us, it reminds us why we don't feel at home. Because this place is not truth. Because this place is not filled with truth. The only truth we will find is in the word of God and in God himself. Jesus said it, what? I am the way, the path. I am the truth, not a truth, not one. I am the truth, I am the life. That's the only place, the only source you're gonna find satisfaction it also points us toward the only home with the capital H, home, God himself, where we will ever feel like we are at home. You're on a journey. You're on a pathway. And if this world doesn't feel like home, congratulations, it's not supposed to. Psalm 120 is the song of such a person, sick with the lies, crippled with hate, crippled with the hate, 
a person doubled up in pain over what is going on in the world. But it is not a mere outcry. It is pain that, that penetrates through despair and stimulates a new beginning, a journey to God that becomes a life of peace. The norm for you, the norm for me, is to have our eyes set on the journey toward God and to know this place is a temporary place that is very much opposed to God. You know, and, and the Bible tells us that are, there are three great distorters of truth. Three great distorters of truth. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul delineates these in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that we are, we, are, we are involved in the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and we gratify the cravings of our flesh and follow its desires and thoughts. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And all three wage war on our mortal souls. Now, when I look at that list, the, the last two are easy to identify. I know when my flesh is tempting me to do something wrong. I get that, right? I get there are times that, that I want to do something that I know is full while wrong, but there's something inside of me saying, but it might, it might be okay. It might be good. I might actually enjoy this. I get the flesh. I sure get the devil. I get, I get a mortal enemy, someone fighting against my, my, my soul all the time, fighting against my spiritual path. I get that. The world, the world is a little more nebulous. What's the world? What's that all about? Peterson describes the world as, um, as kind of the, it's the atmosphere or oxygen in which we exist. How often do you pay attention to the oxygen you're drawing in? How often do you, how often do you just go, kind of, oh, nice oxygen, or hmm, bad oxygen? We don't, right? We just, we just breathe it in. We just breathe it in. How often do you pay attention to really the atmosphere around you? You don't, until it's like bitter cold and you go, wait, wait, where'd that come from? But on an average day, you're just, you're just kind of walking through life. You're not really, unless there are extremes going on, you're not really paying attention to the oxygen. You're not really paying attention to the atmosphere. We live in an atmosphere that is not godly or following after God. And so as an example, when you go to the Old Testament, I've never been able to understand this, but here it is. You have these Old Testament kings like, like David and Solomon and, and, and men who were, who were godly men who had more than one wife. In fact, in Solomon's case, he was in the hundreds. And you go, dude, you, 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 the, the Bible says one man, one woman, we're done. You, you, we don't collect. No, we don't do this. What are you doing? What are you doing? The Bible, you're a man after God's own heart. What does this book say? He didn't have this book. He had, he had this. What does this book say? <laughs> what was wrong with this guy? I'll tell you what was wrong with him. The atmosphere. The oxygen. This is what kings do. This is what kings do. They just do this. There's oxygen around us all the time. There's atmosphere around us all the time. And if, and if we're not engaged with truth, we're breathing it in as if it's true. We have to be constantly challenging the oxygen, constantly challenging the atmosphere and asking, is that true? Is that true? And the more you challenge it, you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel more like a pilgrim, an alien, and a stranger. 
But that's where God wants you to live. So let me just, let me go after a few of the oxygen lies of our times, all right? Some of them, I, 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 hopefully they'll start at least a discussion in your mind. Maybe even with me, hopefully with God and the Bible. Gender is a lie. Gender is a lie. There's sex. One man, one woman. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Right? He created man in the image of God, male and female created he them, period. Everything beyond that is a construct of a Yale or Harvard uh, elite who had to write a PhD and get a program going at a school. And so now we're up to, you know, nearly 100 genders, genders coming out of your ears. We're walking through Midway Airport on the way back, all genders bathroom. What? What? You know, I'm walking through this and I'm reading this and I'm going, this world is not my home. This world is not my home. Gender is a construct of our time, but it is not the truth of the Word of God. It is not. We use the word gender on our forms around here. You know why? It sounds softer than sex, right? We're going to start using the word sex. Because honestly, gender is a lie of our times. It's part of the atmosphere. It's part of the oxygen. But it's not true. This is true. This is truth. That's it, period. This is truth. Let me give you another. I've talked about it recently. The existential threat. Everything has become an existential threat. The environment, existential threat. The wrong person elected, existential threat. Everything, woo, hair on fire, existential. You know what existential threat means? All of human existence will cease. It's done, it's over, period. Over. Boom. There is one true existential threat and only one. God says in the end of the book, I'm going to burn the place with a burning, burning heat. That's it. There is one existential threat and it's God himself. And anybody that claims an existential threat outside of what God says is arrogant and a liar because there is only one. Now, does that mean we can't mess the place up? Oh, we sure can. We sure can. I grew up in western New York. To get from my house in North Tonawanda to Niagara Falls, I had to drive by a neighborhood that was triple fenced. The neighborhood was called Love Canal. Do you remember Love Canal? Love Canal is where Hooker Chemical and DuPont and all these others said, hey, let's dump our cans over here. Boom. And they buried them. And they were supposed to stay buried forever. But some developer said, oh, houses would look nice over there. And they put houses there. And before you know it, sludge and ooze was coming through cracks in basements. And little kids are playing on playgrounds with toxic waste floating in the water. One of the places, one of the parks where I used to mow the lawn as a high school and college student along the Niagara River, I go back there as an adult. And it's fenced off and it says, don't go here, toxic dump site. I'm like, no wonder all those divots were out there. We were, we were driving down into the sludge and back up. No wonder I'm growing weird parts and, and I'm a bizarro, you know? I mean, I get it now. I want clean water. I want clean air. And you know what? It may mean that all of western New York dies. But the entirety of human existence will not cease until God says so. Anything else is a political lie to manipulate you and manipulate your mind. Here is truth. Here is truth. And we're listening to all these people like, like they're some great truth tellers. Like they know something we don't know. This is truth. Let me give you a, a final one. I loved what Brian had to say last week as he was uh, teaching us. And he had one little passing comment that was so beautiful. Beautiful. 
He says, cancel culture cancels forgiveness. We live in this culture right now that if you don't do something wrong, boom, we're done with you. We cancel you. If I don't agree with you, boom, I cancel you. If I don't like you, boom, off Twitter, off Facebook, done with you. I'm only going to have people that I like, only have people I agree with. I'm like, my club, just me, and that's it. I'm canceling everything else. It is so against what the Word of God says. Uh, cancel culture cancels grace. Cancel culture cancels forgiveness. Cancel culture doesn't give you an opportunity to make it right and start over again. Let me ask you this. If God was strong on cancel culture, how would you be doing right now? I don't know that most of us would make it out of this service. We die on the spot. God would cancel us. Has God canceled you? Quite the opposite. He offers grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's the truth. That's the truth. I, I find it disheartening in our times. You know, you know how I find out most of the time people have left the church? They unsubscribe from constant contact. No, no conversation, no nothing, just boom, they unsubscribe, we're done. I cancel you. Relationships aren't made to be that way. Relationships are mean to, to work through struggles and even at times come to a point of saying, we're not going to be together anymore, but to do it face to face, eye to eye in a way that preserves love that seeks forgiveness, that looks toward restoration. These are the truths of the Word of God, and it's just a handful of them. Folks, we are swimming in a world of lies. And I know for a lot of you, you find yourself saying the same thing over and over again. Where can I find the truth? If you're trying to find the truth in your favorite news source, good luck. And I don't care what it's labeled, including a little red animal that runs through the woods. It doesn't matter doesn't matter. If you think you've got, you've got the magic website, you've got, you've got the right spot, you've got the truth, this is the only true truth. This is it. This is, it's normal as a Christ follower to have your nose buried in this. Not buried in your screen, not buried in anything else. Your nose buried in this in order that you might learn what truth is and to live in truth. What is normal? What is normal? Normal is dissonance. What's dissonance? Dissonance is when Ryan is up here playing and John is up here playing and Dane is up here playing and, 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 and good old Jason's over here doing his own thing and Stephen's over here playing and they're all playing a different song in a different key all at the same time. And you just end up with this, you end up with this noise that you're kind of like, what's happening here? My ears are bleeding. It hurts. That never happens here. Ever, ever, ever. Dissonance, dissonance is a clash of harmony, right? You should live your life with a dissonant spirit when it comes to this world. You should wake up almost every day going, this just isn't right. It doesn't feel right, doesn't smell right, and you know why? Because this is right. And more and more every day, the world doesn't look like this, especially the American world. More and more every day, it doesn't look like this. And so what do we do? We don't curse the darkness. We draw people toward the light. We bring people toward the truth. We, bring, we spend our energy bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to God, bringing people to the light. It is easy to spend all your time and honestly to waste all your time screaming about the dark. And in the meantime, there are people saying, what is truth? What is truth? The dissonance is normal. It is normal to live out 
your primary identity. I am a pilgrim. I am an alien. I am a stranger. I don't belong. I might be able to make some things better down here, but honestly, all I'm doing is rearranging the deck terrors on the Titanic because the existential threat, God himself at some point is going to end it all. It's a sinful place. People need God. People need heaven. It is normal to wonder what is true in this world. It is normal. If you have a source that you think is 100% true outside of this, you are wrong, including me. It is normal to feel out of place. It is normal to turn to God for truth. Normal for a believer to do that. It is normal to long for something better. That longing that God has placed in you is there on purpose. He doesn't want you to like the hotel. He doesn't want you to like the temporary dwelling. He wants you to say there's something better. I've created you for something better. I've created you for someone better. The 15 songs of a sense describe elements common to all those who apprentice themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and who travel in the Christian way. This first of them is the prod that gets us going. It's not a beautiful song. There's nothing either hauntingly melancholy or lyrically happy in it. It is harsh. It is discordant. But it gets things started. And so we start out on our journey toward together. This journey toward God knowing that we will never feel at home here. And that's okay. It's more than okay. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's normal. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to live into the normal of your word, the normal of our existence in you and our identity in you, the normal of you, to know that this world is controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that they are in absolute opposition to the ways of the God of the universe. God, move us to be people who don't just curse what is going on around us, but realize that the people around us are cursed and they need a savior. They need help. They need hope. That longing in their heart to make everything better here is really a longing that says there's got to be something better and the better is God. Help us to point the way, to light the way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen team is going to come and lead us in a couple of amazing songs. And, and what we're going to ask you to do during the first song is to take a few moments with communion uh, in your hand, bread and cup, and to just think of the ways in which in this life you've thought, I'm comfortable here, this is okay. And repent of that. Repent literally means a change of direction. I'm not walking that way anymore. Embrace the ways in which you find yourself. The world is not my home. Jesus is my home. One more time, hear the words. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from the liars and from all deceitful people. O deceptive tongue, what will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffer in far off Meshach. It pains me to live in distant Cater. I'm tired of living among people who hate peace. I search for peace. But when I speak of peace, they want war. After you take communion, feel free to stand and sing with us. I really believe that one of the things that this past year of discontentment has caused
is that for many of us as Christ followers, we're being called by God to finally give up our American idol. We've been living in the hotel as if the hotel is home. As if, as if this is the place that we belong. And the only way our Christianity can be strong is if the hotel is the way we think it should be. And God's saying, don't you get it? Your primary identity is pilgrim, alien, stranger. You're not at the, of this world. And the more you feel at home, the more you're in the wrong house. You're in the wrong house. God's calling us to come back to being devoted Christ followers, not simply worshiping our American idol. Now, here's what's cool. We get to take the journey together. Uh, it, it, there's so many movies of, you know, Bible times and whatever that it's hard to get an image out of your mind that hasn't been created for you. But if you imagine walking down one of those dusty paths in Israel, here we are. I'm still going to wear what I'm wearing. I'm not wearing one of those Jesus gowns. But here we are. We're just walking down the path together and we're singing songs together that remind us who we are and where we're going. Song number one, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. And the more I feel like one, the better off I am. And sometimes we need some other people in the group to remind us, hey, this is only a hotel. Keep moving. Keep moving. So... Let's find our satisfaction where we can only find satisfaction in God himself. And Lord, to that end, we pray that as long as we try to find home here, we will feel restless and aggravated, out of sorts, feeling like we're being lied to, feeling like the people around us hate. Let that intensify in order that we might let go of this place and pursue the normal life in God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next week, it's going to be five degrees. Heat wave. So unless the pipes burst and the place burns down, we'll see you next week. All right? Bye.